Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The epistle lesson for today is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. This can be found on page 1212 of your Pew Bible. The divine love of God was distinctly demonstrated to us in the incarnation of Jesus Christ and is the ultimate source for our love for one another. A reading from 1 John chapter 4, beginning with the seventh verse. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. For today's sermon, I'd like everybody to have a Bible in your hands. There should be enough in this room to have an actual physical copy of the Bible at least for you, or you can share it with your spouse if you're next to your spouse. I've instructed the AV team not even to show the words on the wall today. (laughs) We're going analog. We've spent enough time on our screens this week. Let's be in the room together. I'll explain a little more why. That's 1 John chapter 4. It's on page 1212 of the Pew Bibles. I want everyone to, if you don't have a Bible, if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, I see people in the choir lodge without Bibles. Can someone try to get them some Bibles? I'm serious about this. Let's share. Yeah, there you go. Now I realize we need Bibles in the choir loft. Look at that. Sharing God's Word. Good job, Dan. Good example there. Sharing God's Word, literally. Okay, everybody there? John chapter 4. It's been said that the Bible is God's love letter to the world. God's love letter to the world. I remember being in high school and sending and receiving love letters. This was, uh, Chris, what year were you born? 91. Okay, so you can hardly imagine this, but there was this time before the internet. (laughs) And if you wanted to express your affections for somebody in high school, you didn't use Snapchat or texting or anything like that. You wrote love letters. Anybody of the era where you'd open your trapper keeper? You'd get your Bic pen, and you would write on that line, that blue-lined paper. You know, the girls sometimes, if they really wanted to express their love, they wouldn't dot their eyes with a dot. They would give a heart above the eye. I see some knowing smiles here. There was something exhilarating about receiving a love note. I mean, there was even an art to how you folded the paper. 
and gave it to him or her out by the locker, you know, so they could open it. I remember, I mean, in my case, I got lots of these notes, but (laughs) they were from my mom. But anyway, uh, exhilarating as it was to open a love note from a high school crush, imagine how much more exhilarating it is to hold in your lap what you're holding right now, a love note, a love letter, Not from a crush, but from the one who created you. The one who made you, the one who designed you in his mind, spoke you into existence. How amazing is it that we get to open this love letter today? This is one of the reasons I wanted us holding it in our laps. Before we unpack it, before we unfold and read this love letter from our maker, I'm going to stop to pray. God, Some of us are looking around this world right now and we're wondering, where is the love? Jesus, lover of our souls, reveal. Reveal your great love for us today. We thank you for this love letter. Amen. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Let's find out what God has to say to us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. See, this word love is repeated numerous times, even in this sentence. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. It's like John is trying to pack in this word love as many times as possible into these sentences. Now, it's unfortunate that in English, we only have one word for love. One word to describe all different kinds of love. I say, I love my wife, Nancy. I also say, I love a cold beer on a hot day. (laughs) One word for both things. But in Greek, in ancient Greek, there were actually eight. Eight different words for Greek. It's kind of like when you go way up north in Alaska, they have like 11 words for snow. The Greeks understood love a little bit better than we did. All the variations of love. Four of them were most commonly used, and C.S. Lewis wrote a beautiful book called The Four Loves, the four loves that are most commonly used in the Greek language. I'm just going to quickly run through them right now. This will be on the wall. Storge, which is like natural affection. Think of the natural love between a mother and her child. That's storge love. There's also philia. We know this word, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's not necessarily family brother, like uh, biological brother. That's storge love. It's more like brother, like my friend. It's more like friendship love. That's philia. Then there's eros. This is where we get our word erotic. This is romantic or sexual love, a very strongly felt and experienced love. Song of Solomon says, many waters cannot quench love. He's talking about eros there. I remember being in high school, what that felt like, just like uncontrollable thoughts of eros, right? You've been there. Anyone? No? Nobody wants to admit that? Uh, Maybe I'm unique. And then there's what C.S. Lewis called the highest of loves, agape love. Agape love. This is selfless or unconditional. Think sacrificial love. Agape love is the type of love that expects nothing in return. This is the highest Christian love, according to 
C.S. Lewis. So you may be wondering what type of love is being spoken of here in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. In all of these cases in this first sentence, actually the entire paragraph, it's all agape love. This paragraph is all about agape, sacrificial love. And I want you to see the first two words of the sentence in Greek, which is what it was written in. Beloved, let us love one another. This is what it looks like in Greek. This word agape, agape toy. That's beloved. We are all agape toy. That's the plural of people who are loved, agape toy. The next word is agapomane. Agape toy, agapomane. Beloved, love. It's an identity statement. If we are people who are loved sacrificially with the agape love of God, we ought to, we will sacrificially love one another. In English, it might sound like this. Loved people, love people. Agape toy, agapomane. Loved people, love people. Maybe you've heard this expression, hurt people, hurt people. There's more to that, you know. Yes, hurt people hurt people, but also healed people heal people. Freed people set people free. Loved people love people. Agape toy, agapome. This is what John is telling us here in this love letter. Just We're in one verse in. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is agape. God is selfless love. Now, John is a masterful writer because what happens here in the next few verses, it's almost like John takes us into a a scientific inquiry, this mysterious, amazing, powerful thing called love. It's like John's saying, let's look at it from a scientific angle. And there's really three types of sciences. There's theoretical science, there's physical sciences, and then there's applied sciences. Right now we're in the theoretical. It's almost like a philosophy or a theology, an idea, God is love. Big idea, right? Theoretical science. But then John says, come on, let's go across the hallway into the physical sciences and find out what this idea looks like when it's brought down to earth into the physical realm, when it's made manifest. This is what he's getting into in verse 9. This is the physical sciences department now. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest. See, it's physical now. The love of God was made manifest. Just like we hold this Bible in our laps right now, it's physical. We can touch it. We can read it. We can take it in. Big ideas, theological concepts made manifest. The same thing is true about Jesus. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. I'm going to pause right there before we get into that next phrase. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Max, can you put the four loves back up on the screen? What is John talking about here? It's a little confusing maybe. Those of us who've been reading the Bible all the way through the Old Testament, we hear this phrase over and over and over again. You shall love the Lord your God. 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's so repeated. Now, all of a sudden, John is saying, don't think about you loving God for a minute. Think about God loving you. What's he getting at here? Well, it's this agape love, this sacrificial love. Agape love expects nothing in return. These other three loves that come before it, storge love, filial love, eros love, they're usually, let me just put it in different terms. Most of the love we experience in this world is what I would call transactional. Even a mother holding her child. There's an amazing storge love being emoted there to that child. But even the mother hopes that the child will grow up and be nice to her, (laughs) you know, or reflect well on the family or whatever these expectations we have for our children. There's a transaction there, right? Philia, the friendship love, uh, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. A brother was born for adversity. We hope in friendship that it's reciprocal. I'm there for you, you're there for me. It's transactional. Eros, obviously, is transactional. Two people are involved. But agape love says, I will love you unconditionally. I will love you without expectation that you will give me anything back in return. This is why C.S. Lewis calls it the highest love. It's completely unselfish. This is the love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. We bring nothing to the table, if you think about it, other than our own sinfulness. Not that we love God, it says, but that God loved us with this agape love. And then this next phrase really proves to us how unconditional, how agape his love is for us. Verse 10, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Did you ever read a love note in high school and you got to a certain paragraph and you're like, what is she talking about here? (laughs) Maybe that's where we are, propitiation. What does this mean? Well, I can't wait to explain this to you because maybe you, I don't know, maybe you never got love notes in high school or maybe you live a life now where you're wondering where is the love? Maybe there's no experienced love in your life. Maybe you're, you're hoping that you might catch a glimpse of the kind of love we're talking about today. Well, let me tell you what propitiation means. The proving of God's unconditional, amazing, selfless love for you is in this one word, propitiation. What does it mean? It just simply means appeasement or, or even payment. God looked at all of us. He looked at you and he realized you had a problem you cannot solve on your own. What is that problem? The problem is that we do not live up to the law of God, the law of God to love him with our whole hearts, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And God being God is holy and is just. And in his holiness and in his justice, he cannot look at a world, he cannot look at a creation that was designed to live in that image, to live in that love, but who have turned our backs on him in rebellion. He can't maintain his holiness and his justice without some kind of payment, without some kind of punishment, without some kind of consequence being made for the rebellion that all of us have lived. And so in order to maintain his holiness, in order to maintain his justice, he ought to wipe us out. The wages of sin is death, it says in the Bible. But he looked at us and he said, no, no, no. I love them. 
I love them more than that. I will take the punishment. I will appease the righteous wrath of God in order for God to maintain his holiness, to maintain his justice. His mercy came out, and that's why he went to the cross for us out of love. On the cross, God's mercy and God's justice meet, and neither one of them are diminished. And the only thing Jesus got out of that equation, other than his own painful and terrible death, what he got out of it, you know what he got out of it, right? He got you. That's why he went to the cross. Because if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't served as the appeasement for the righteous wrath of God, he would have been separated from you for all eternity. And that thought broke his heart. So out of love, he died. What did you and I bring to the equation? Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. Do you know how loved you are? This love note you hold in your hands could not communicate a higher love. This is the physical sciences now. The theoretical sciences, God is love. Now God is a propitiation for our sins. That's the physical. What about applied sciences? How might this agape, unconditional, sacrificial love be applied in our world. Verse 11. Beloved, agape toy, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us the way I just described that he has loved us, we also ought to love one another. This word ought is interesting. We always... We often want the command. Lord, just tell us what to do. Give us the marching orders. Give us the three steps. Give us the 10 steps. We want this. And sometimes, actually, I receive variations of criticism on my preaching. And one of the criticisms goes along like this. They say, Nathan, why don't you give us more marching orders? Why don't you give us more instructions of what to do, how to live in this world, how to respond to the things going on? Other pastors do it, and they send me clips on YouTube of other pastors. <laughs> It's a fair question, okay? Here's the way I think about it. If God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If you picture a, a river flowing down a valley and somebody dams it up to create a reservoir, and that reservoir keeps filling and filling and filling, you might look at that scene and you say, you know, if that river keeps flowing like that, it ought to spill over the dam. You see that image? This is, I think, the word ought is, is being implied here. If we've been so loved, so fully, and so unconditionally, and so amazingly, and so recklessly by the love of God, it ought to spill over our lives into the lives of other people. When the coin drops in our hearts of how loved we've been, we will turn to those around us and love them too. At the Last Supper, Jesus held up the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And the disciples were probably wondering, oh, it's a new covenant. What are the terms of the new covenant? What are the marching orders? What are the 10 steps? They knew the terms of the old covenant, the 10 commandments. And Jesus answers that question that I'm guessing was on their mind by saying this in John 13, 34. He said, one command I give you, that you agape one another as I agape you. Do you realize how much more demanding that is? 
than 10 steps. This is why I preach primarily on the gospel. Because I'm trying to fill our reservoirs. I'm trying to let God fill our reservoirs with the unconditional love of God so that it might spill over our lives into the world around us. Verse 12. There's more of this sort of reality of this amazing love of God coming into our world. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in us. This is the applied sciences now. That word perfected requires a little bit of definition. I I think when we hear the word perfect, we're not thinking quite like John was thinking. Uh, Here's what happens in my mind when I picture perfection. I picture a star athlete, you know, in high school or something, who's the captain of her teams, who gets a 1600 on her ACTs, SATs, gets into the Ivy League, looks great on Instagram. You know, that's perfection in our minds, right? It's not really what John is saying here. God's love is perfected in us. Don't think of perfect like that. I think in the New Testament, when it says perfect, it really maybe should be translated complete. God's love is completed in us. When we love each other with the love that we've been filled with, like that reservoir, when it spills out, when we become a channel of that love, it becomes perfected. Think of it almost like a, uh, you remember in in, in, uh, maybe middle school science class where they gave you a battery and a light bulb and you had to complete the circuit? Remember that? Did anyone have this scientific experiment? Yeah. His love is made complete in us. His love is the battery. His love is the cross. His love is the gospel. His love is agape love, unconditional. And when we love each other, we complete the circuit. We're not loving each other with our own human love. We're loving each other with the, the powerful love from him. And when we do that, it lights up our world. We are the light of the world. His love does that when we love each other the way he has loved us. I experienced one of these light bulb moments. Some time ago, I was officiating a wedding right here in this room. And I knew that the majority of the people who had gathered here that day well, they weren't normal, they weren't regular churchgoers like, like you might be. They were people who really weren't Christians. And um, the scripture that the bride and groom had chosen was 1 John 4. And, you know, the guy that they asked to come read scripture, he stood up here and he got to that word propitiation. And unlike Andrew, who read it really well, this guy totally butchered the word. I think he said prohibition. And um, I was standing, you know, I'm standing right here. This is where I stand, obviously, to marry this couple. The bride's right here to my right. The groom's right here to my left. And I have this homily to deliver, you know, to this room full of people who, who I'm pretty sure had maybe never heard the love of God. They never heard the gospel articulated. And I was feeling a little insecure, like, really, this word propitiation, should I just ignore it? And I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me to say, this word is the best word you got, man. 
This is the word these people need to hear. And so that's what I did in the homily. I explained the word propitiation. (laughs) And I had them look at the cross. And I was just describing the love of God and Jesus Christ who paid the price for our sins, who loved us so much that he didn't want to live eternity without us. So he laid down his life to die in our place. And I was explaining that to the people here. And I noticed something out of my, out of my right side. It was the bride whose face was right in front of mine. And she was simply gazing upon. She was beholding her groom. And tears were streaming down her face. I was inviting them and every other married couple in the room. What if we loved our spouse the way Christ has loved us? With no expectation for anything in return. What if each member of the marriage was able to love each other like that? And tears were streaming down her face. I know that she was being overwhelmed. Not just by a handsome groom but by her eternal bridegroom, Jesus. You know, that's what John says in another of his writings, that that's what it's going to be like for us on the last day. The best image, the best illustration, the best thing John could think of to describe our reunion with Christ in eternity is going to be like that. It's going to be like a bridegroom and a bride, that the veil will be lifted, and we, the bride of Christ, will behold our Savior, our groom, we will see him face to face, it says. And we will realize the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God shown to us in the love on his face. Because he died in our place just to get us for all of eternity. What would it look like if we lived now in light of that love? If our reservoirs were so full as to overflowing and we began loving the people in this world with the sacrificial love of Christ. Loved people. Love people. Agape toy. Agape me. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.